Welcome to the Road Show. In South Africa, it brings people together, it breaks yeah, down barriers. Yeah, right. My passion winning to be the best. Being the best is something we strive for. Sacrifice, consistency, passion, great life. passion, fiction, gold, ultimate gold, glory, relentless training, pain, pain. <laughs> Hello, ladies and gents, and welcome to another smashing episode of the Road Show. As always, it's myself, Lawrence Britton, and sadly today I'm with Jake Green. Yes, it's I'm back, and uh, it's another it's another banger. And you know we've been recording and list, and speaking to a lot of people fresh off their World Championship campaign. And today we are joined by none other than Tara Rigney from Australia, who's been lighting things up in the women's single skull. And, um, you know, I think uh, the Women's Single Scholar has actually come a long way since uh, Tokyo. And I think one of the bow classes that's sort of had the most shift in terms of like participation and, you know, a fresh um, uptake of new rowers. And uh, Tara is one of them. She's finished uh, another bronze medal at World Champs um, after a successful 2022 season, which also saw her get a bronze medal. She is a, a Tokyo Olympian racing in the women's double. And uh, yeah, we just caught up with her, her incredible season that she's had. Um, you know, she's definitely got a work cut out for her, but, you know, it's been really exciting to watch, you know, her, Caroline and uh, Emma Twig race it out in the single skulls because they definitely seem to be setting the standard. I completely agree. And on a side note, Jake, it's not fun when I tease you and then you don't give me any response. I need the banter. Um, but yeah, going back to the, the episode for sure, I think that, uh, it's so cool to, to chat to people that are kind of on the way up, up and coming, just delivering better and better results all the time. And like really excited about their, their rowing and their careers. And I think, uh, Tara was like perfect for, for this time of the season, you know, just coming off a, a bronze medal at world champs, um, really, really excited for the next season. And we just got into so many awesome details about, the uh, rowing Australian team, the history um, and the history in the single as well. It's Kim Brennan. So there was just so many different aspects that were just really, really awesome to to chat about and to to dig into. So I mean, I love the episode. Um, probably one of my favorite like new episodes that we we've done. And um, yeah, I think that everyone listening is gonna love it just as much. No, I definitely agree. Um, and yeah, guys, besides that, maybe a bit of housekeeping, you can go follow us on, on Instagram and, uh, you can support us there You can get, get in contact with us and you can tell Lawrence, you know, how much you've been enjoying the show, how much you haven't, you know, he's always good at, uh, at the, the public communications. Um, and then you can go on to, you know, Patreon and we've got a lot to offer there, um, including our WhatsApp group and the rowing almanac, which contains all the rowing information that you can imagine at your fingertips. So yeah, yeah there's a lot, lot happening. The Rosha has been pretty busy lately and uh, yeah, you can come go check us out and enjoy the episode. Yeah. The rowing almanac that's for, for all the people that are so sick of um, searching rowing racing results on world rowing side of the the, 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 the slog that it is to find uh, decent numbers. Um, so if you really want to dig in, that's the place for you go and check it out. Otherwise, tell your friends about it, share the show, and enjoy this episode. With I, wonder, I wonder when World Rowing is going to send us a message asking us to stop just <laughs> slating them on our podcast. <laughs> well, if they do that, I would ask them, can I get access to the old website, please? Um, 
because it was painful. Yeah. The, the, the new setup. But anyway, um, they still did a decent job at World Champs. And I we recently hosted. Um, oh, yes, we did. Um, World, World Masters. Masters. We're part of the team, Jake. Yeah. Yes, we got our hands hands full. I I, I got roped into <laughs> assisting at the bar, and I think the the job the, describing what I was doing as a barman is you know quite disingenuous. <laughs> I was doing a lot of work, <laughs> but it was no, good it fun. Was so, we had so much fun. We had such a cool regatta, and yeah, for for all the the patrons, for everyone that came out, all the listeners that they were out and and at the regatta. It was really awesome to meet you guys, and uh, and yeah, we really appreciate the the support, and yeah, I'm sure you guys enjoyed the regatta just as much. But I think that's enough of us talking shit. Let's get into the show, Jake. Yeah, enjoy. Welcome, ladies and gentlemen, to another episode of the Row Show, and today we are joined by the Australian women's single scholar Tara Rigney. Thanks so much for coming on our show and for giving us your time. No worries. Stoked to be here. And, you know, you've, you've had a, a spectacular uh, season in the single skull, two spectacular seasons in the single skull. But to, to start off the, the interview, um, you are a veteran of the Olympic Games in Tokyo. And, uh, you, know, this, you know, after looking at the results sheets, they, you know, it, it seemed to be quite a huge progression on your side after rowing at under 23s in 2019 and then finding yourself at your first sort of senior regatta, which was the Olympics, which is quite a, a step up. And that COVID uh, period seemed to be quite fascinating in your case. You must have made a lot of progression. So maybe give us a bit of a like a post COVID um, sort of uh, um, insight into what your rowing journey was like and sort of uh, the progression that you made um, post-COVID that led you to being selected in the women's double and ultimately going on to race at your first Olympic Games? Um, yeah, so I think definitely COVID was a game changer for me. Um, so I wasn't I wasn't even at the centre, like the training centre in 2019, obviously, or 2020. Um, and I'd say I kind of enjoyed rowing, but I didn't take it that seriously. I, I, you know, I didn't train really more than maybe twice a day some days and I skipped weights every session pretty much which my coach hated and then uh during COVID after the games were postponed I was still under 23s um and I think a small part of me was I was hoping to be the under 23 single scholar but I think a small part of me was hoping maybe I could get selected for the games but I wouldn't have dared like say that out loud um and I kind of went you know what I'm you know, I'm pretty far off the pace with the older scholars and I was like, okay, well, why is that? And it was just because um, they were so much uh, stronger and fitter than me. And so I kind of reflected on what I needed to do and it was, okay, well, you need to sit on the erg and you need to do weights. And obviously COVID came around and the only thing you could do was sit on the erg. Mm. And I remember I probably had never done longer than um, like I would do one 6K erg a week. And then all of a sudden I was like, okay, can to do 20k on the erg and I did it with my eyes closed the first time I probably like terrible spritz um <laughs> and then like you know started lifting weights and you know lo and behold I started to get a lot quicker um but I still was you know during that whole year I did a few of the 5k time trials and I was still very much like okay well I'd love to go on 23s like you know I didn't really think 
the Olympics was on the table. Um, but I started, you know, improving more and more with each time trial that we did. And then one day they asked me to come down to the centre because all the scholars at the time had been injured. And I hopped in the double with Amanda Bateman, who was she was the top-ranked scholar, and I was pretty scared. And we did um, like a speed session. And I didn't really know what like 100% GMS was or anything at the time. Um, so I just thought I hopped in and we did these sessions. And I was like, yeah, like, you know, felt good, whatever. Um, but like we topped the prognostics and like I think we went pretty fast. And after that I was like, oh, wow. I didn't. My coach was like, he's Irish. And he was like, you know, mate, did you, you know, I think you actually went pretty well. And I was like, oh, really? I, I don't really even know. Like, um, And so I feel like I was looking you know, I was starting to be like, oh, maybe I have a chance. Um, but then in December of 2020, I got a rib, like pretty close to when we'd trial, I think. So I got the rib and it was six weeks and pretty much at the end of those six weeks, it was like Olympic trials. So I didn't do any of like the sort of main um, like key events leading up to our state chance, which is like the trial. And so I didn't mm. even hit race pace until like – I think three days before I raced is when I started to do race pace stuff. And then I kind of hopped in and I think a lot of people had probably forgotten about me because I was a bit of a 20, under 23 battler. Um, and then I think I really surprised myself and I, I won the state champs and I was like, oh, wow, I really didn't think I could do that. Um, yeah, and then from there I was selected to come to trials and um, trials was uh, – Senior trials was a lot different from 23s. It was quite challenging, but yeah, I went I went well there, and um, I was selected in the dogs and Amanda Bateman. And I was yeah, I was pretty stoked. <laughs> mm. Um, so now that you you've spent a couple seasons racing at the elite level, and you've you've put two really successful seasons in the single skull, could you sort of give us an idea of of what you think maybe set yourself apart from your peers? even at that stage where you were extremely inexperienced, both sort of in the boat and maybe from like the training perspective, because obviously there must have been something about your rowing, um, you know, uh, I guess uh, intuition that gave you a sort of a, a head start that allowed you to perhaps go to Olympic Games. And now that you've spent a couple seasons at an elite level and you understand yourself a little bit better, what do you think... Um, what do you think was in, you know, what do you think had gave you your advantage when you were trying to go for that Olympic seed? Um, well, all the scholars, like we have, we're really lucky to have such a great depth um, in the Australian sculling team. And so I think in terms of, you know, the single skull, um, I feel like what my strength is is that um, I feel like I have better um, like when then what I had in 2019, I improved my boat feel quite a lot. Um, and just how I rode my coach down at Sydney Uni, Alfie Young, he did a lot of work with me, um, to improve how I was rowing technically. And I think once I figured out that you could row, you could row and be trying not as hard as a person next to you, but actually go quicker because you're rowing better. I was like, oh, well this is pretty awesome. Like, I think I want to stay in the single. Um, and that's because of the nature of the single skull. It's the, how you're rowing, like your own technically is, I feel like exaggerated compared to um, a quad where something like power, which perhaps isn't my strength, is 
valued more. So I think, um, yeah, everyone's like amazing athletes, but my own like improvement um, and I think why I got, why I improved was because of, yeah, improving my boat feel and how I was rowing. Nice. The, and then going uh, going back to, to Tokyo, then um, obviously you now joined this team and it's probably one of the most successful Australian Olympic rowing teams ever. Like the whole the whole team, the the success of the that year, but also not going to any of the World Cups, not racing anything internationally before the build up, you know, and only trusting what your team was doing back at home. Must have been so nerve wracking, you know, that build up and then, you know, getting to the games must have been quite a quite an experience, especially for you not having raced like a senior world champs before getting to the Olympics. Yeah. Um, I would say it was like it was pretty, I feel like in some ways it was good and then in some ways it was bad. It was good because I went into it, I would say, pretty relaxed and pretty chill because I actually had no idea what to expect. So I was like, oh, yeah, it will be fine. Just, you know, bang out a few races, see how it goes. But um, I think after the heat I was like, oh, wow, it's just like a whole different level to racing. And I think I learned so much from that regatta in terms of, I think I improved so much from race to race in terms of how you attack the race. Um, I feel like I would have definitely benefited from racing at a World Cup before because um, it just it just teaches you, I feel like, you know, where you kind of stand, you're not so blind going into it. But, again, um, we, we were so lucky to have such amazing crews. Like, you know, domestic growing Australia team, like we always race the women's pair and they're just – um, Jess and Annabelle, an amazing crew, and I think we were still just trying to get the same time as them. Some races they were so going so quick, so um, it, yeah, it, like you had an idea of where you kind of sat, which was yeah, pretty amazing to have like domestic crews who are able to almost go 100 percent pretty consistently. Yeah. And then, um, and then another like a theme that kind of often comes up on our show is you know athletes rowing with you know, when they're still young and, and learning, rowing with athletes that have been around a bit longer and, and had some really good results before. Have you like, do you feel that same way, like learning from um, Amanda and like rowing with, with, you know, other seniors in the team, like just accelerating your learning curve so much more? Yeah, I definitely, I definitely think so. Um, with both the scholars and the sweepers, to be honest, like I think, I, Amanda really took me under her wing when I first came to the centre and kind of was like, you know, this is the physio, I think you should go see him, check him in every week and just like taught me the basics and I think the maturity to training that a lot of the older athletes had um, and the intensity they brought to training rubbed off on me because um, I was like, oh, damn, like it is intense but I think it is, you know, um, kind of that next level you have to bring. I mean, I'm. I don't think I'm too much of an intense person, so I, I like to have fun and have a laugh on the water. But I think definitely, um, it. I was like, yeah, okay, no cutting corners, do everything 100, percent which you know maybe younger Tara was a bit more relaxed about. Mm. You know, it's interesting because I think there, you know, there are many different ways to to make a boat go fast, and uh, you do get. There seems to be like a. The, the different sort of typecasts of of how you know rowers go about doing it from the intense ones to the more relaxed ones, um, and then you know finishing up on the Olympics, 
how did that experience sort of change your outlook on rowing and senior rowing? And to follow on that question, like how did that inform your decision to then get into the single skull in 2022? Um, so being part of the Olympics was so awesome because we had so many successful crews and I was so stoked for um, everyone that medal because I'd seen how hard they worked. Uh, but at the same time, I think I was uh, disappointed with our final outcome um, and how we went. And so I think uh, I went back and kind of reflected on what I could have done better. Um, and I think I kind of went, okay, well, I don't want to have a break because of sort of the last minute fashion. I felt like I did make the games. I hadn't had that five year slog that everyone else had. And I kind of was like, you know, what? I'm pretty upset. I'm like annoyed with myself about how we went and I want to improve and I want to make myself, you know, so good that hopefully I can never end up in a B final again, no matter what boat I'm in. Um, and so I pretty much didn't have a break and I just went straight back in. Like I think I it was still COVID back here and um, I was like, I want to come down straight away. And my coach was originally like, get out of here. <laughs> like I have a bit more of a break. But um, just started grinding away in the single. And I think other people had taken um, a bit more time to get back into it. And so um, for the first, you know, I went up to our uh, um, head coach and um, I had to ask Paul Thompson and I pretty much was like, look, um, I would be keen to maybe give the single skull a crack. I don't think I'm good enough to really compete in the field, but I was curious, like, what are the benchmarks? What do I need to do? And he was like, okay, we well, need to do this erg and you need to do this on water time. And I was like, oh, okay, cool. Um, and so I think I kind of went into that season with those goals in mind. Um, I was selected to do the World Cup 2 in the single skull. But I wasn't selected to do World Cup 3 in the single, actually. I was meant to row the quad and I rode the quad at Henley, which was so fun and I really enjoyed my time with those girls in the quad. And I was keen to row that boat at World Cup 3. And then the night before we were meant to race, unfortunately one of the girls, um, she has actually got a pretty bad back injury and they're like, well, she's not going to be able to race. And so they went, okay, well, um double and single and so I hopped in the single like and I went out for like a paddle before the heat and then I hopped in the skull and then I think because I medaled at World Cup 3 I stayed in the single but I don't think um if I hadn't you know gone well at that regatta in the single I, I wouldn't have stayed in that boat class. It, it's been a quite an interesting change from the last Olympics there definitely seems to be a little bit of a changing of God in the women's single skull and I think athletes like yourself and um, Caroline that have come onto the scene and sort of sort of um, you know blown open the the event to a certain extent it it's that first season of racing must have been really interesting because your first World Cup you had a really good result but then you I guess like you the benchmark is still like not a hundred percent set yet. So you're still asking yourself, are the people I was racing super as fast as I think they are, or maybe am I racing a somewhat weaker field, if I can even say that. And turns out that you were racing pretty much the fastest scholar that's they've they've been this the cycle. And then sort of like having a season like that, going into world champs and then getting a chance to race Emma Twig, who's obviously an absolute legend of the sport. And you know, one of the greatest uh, women single scholars of all time. 
and you know getting a chance to race against her and then you get a real sense of the benchmark of racing Emma and of course racing Caroline who's gone on to take the 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 event by storm well both of them are so amazing and I the first time I versed Carol Caroline I was I literally got off the board and I was like eight seconds eight seconds more like quicker than the next person I was like she's just you know on a different playing field like she's amazing um and you know same goes with Emma Twig yeah it was um definitely a bit of a pinchy moment when I got to line up and I remember being at the world champs last year and this is probably I don't know if this is a great train of thought to have but I remember being like at the start line being like damn you know what no matter how I go I'm in the lane next to Emma Twig. Like, this is pretty cool. I, I've already won. Um, and then, you know, I came out at the start and my coach was, you know, she was like, Tara, you're going to have to hit the start hard because I think Carolyn's such a fast starter and it's actually interesting to see um, how far I feel like everyone has improved with the first 500 because she's so quick and everyone's just trying to keep up with her. And I did the start and I was like, okay. Like, I was um, like – maybe like slightly ahead of Emmy Twig. Obviously she walked through me like half, like less than 500 metres into the race. But I was like, ooh, like this is so exciting. So, yeah, it's awesome to be able to line up and compare myself with those athletes. And I think um, even when I, you know, set my sights on the single, it was always just the opportunity to compare myself against the best. And I think um, oh, Carolyn doing a 7.14 at the last World Championships and like, you know, it's just – amazing it's one second off the time that they did in the tokyo year in a, in a tailwind mm. so i think she's yeah she's red hot and um yeah i think everyone's goal is just to see how close you can get to carolyn <laughs> so you finished your your first season in the single skull you know placing in the top three every event you raced and you finished up with a bronze medal in the a final at the world championships that was the first year of the new Olympic cycle. And, you know, that, that must have been quite a surreal feeling for you being a younger athlete. Obviously, you've spoken about your journey post-Olympics and then finding yourself amongst the best scholars in the world. And again, amongst, like you've said, you've spoken about your reverence for Caroline and Emma Twig. You know, these are, you know, red hot, top of the line, single scholars, and you find yourself among that pack. That must have been an awesome feeling and like, how, how did that change your approach to the single skull and sort of the confidence it must have brought with it must have been amazing? Yeah, I think um, I definitely I definitely was like, wow, I really didn't think I could be up in contention here. And so it did give me um, a lot of confidence in terms of, you know, kind of believing a bit more in myself. Um, I think – I think it's it will domestically. I think we just have also a lot of depth, so it's not unusual for me to race with, um, you know, a pretty tight field. Um, Amanda Bateman's amazing in the single skull, and um, she gave me a run for my money at world um, at the state champs. So it's yeah, you do get confidence from that, but um, you're always kept on your toes domestically. So I I I, I never. You know, I have uh, faith in my ability, but um, I by no means would rest on my my laurels there. You know, talking about you know Emma Twig and and you know and looking at the Australian you know history in the single skull with Kim Brennan 
And I know she's had quite a big influence on you and we've had her on the show and she was so incredible to, to chat to on the show. Just her like her training kind of mentality and mindset and the way and her approach to, to her training was really, really something is, um, have you been chatting to, to Kim? Is that something or someone that you have asked a few questions about the, the single skull? Definitely. I feel like Kim's, um, Kim's a legend and she's been really open with me reaching out and asking her uh, questions here and there. And I remember even before I got in the single, um, I had like, I asked her if we could get lunch and I basically just like, I feel like probably interrogated her for an hour about like, you know, okay, well, how do you row well in bad water? How'd you get so quick? And, you know, um, she broke it down for me and told me what she did and, it, you know, it was it was really interesting. So I'm really lucky that I can, you know, I have someone that's a phone call away that can give me pretty amazing advice. So, um, yeah, she's been she's been pretty essential. I actually have a photo with Kim when I was like in year nine at school growing and she would have been older at Cirque and she's towering over me and I was like, yeah, well, we've been looking up to you for years. So <laughs> That is very cool. And the, the biggest takeaway I think I, I got from Kim Brennan when we spoke to her was just being absolutely uh, blown away by the – what seemed to be her absolute dedication to the training and, you know, her ability to uh, complete this kind of training she was doing it, it, you know, out of all the people we've spoken to her, she's right up there with the the guys and girls that have, have sort of made you feel like you're talking to a superhuman to a certain extent, because the, the, the way she was talking about her training was absolutely insane. And, you know, it must have been cool sort of speaking to her and getting an idea from like, someone that was literally the best scholar of her time. And, uh, you know, what are big takeaways that you got from chatting to someone like Kim? Mm, I think I think one of the big takeaways I, I, I got around training and she said, like, she said she didn't taper really for any of her races other than the Olympics. Um, and her mentality was you need to know that you can go well even when you're not at your best because there's no guarantee you're going to be your best come the Olympics. Like you could be sick, you could have a terrible night's sleep, you just don't know. So, you know, you need to consistently race in um in a way that you're not performing 100% because, you know, there's, you know, you know training fatigue to, to push yourself and see, um, yeah, how, how far you can go and, you know, what's your best at your worst essentially, which I thought was like at the time I was like, damn, that's – um. That's really hard to do. <laughs> I'm still working on it. So, uh, but yeah, that was really amazing advice. I also asked her about, you know, what she thinks helps in rough water. Um, and she told me that a lot of the stuff she did in the first year when after London, when she said, okay, I want to, I'm going to do the single um, for Rio. She said for the first year, she just tried to do insane drills, like reverse feather starts and just see how far she can tip her boat and, get really comfortable in the boat and she was like honestly just play around with the boat um which I think is something I never considered but um I have been doing a bit more and she was like it the worst thing that's gonna happen is you fall out of the boat so I thought that was pretty interesting as well sure that's actually incredible so you said a reverse feather start so that's is that like a full start with feathering the other way yeah like she said yeah, so do a, a race pace start but reverse feather. I mean, I can't do that. I only just figured out how to reverse feather, but I was like, wow. And she was like, yeah, like the crazier the drill, like the better. 
when when we went to Japan for like a like kind of a practice event, like training camp before the Tokyo Games, where one of the guys, I think he had had a bit to drink. One of the J- Japanese uh, rowers, oh, yeah. <laughs> he had a bit to drink, and he was telling us how he thinks that rowing reverse feathered is a better way to row. Oh no. <laughs> <laughs> In his in his defense, I, I do feel like there was a significant amount of what he was trying to tell us lost in translation yeah. because it didn't it didn't come across well. Um, it, there's no doubt that uh, that the single skull allows you to sort of explore the the realms of your ability more than other boats, and I think it comes down to the fact that you you have the ability as an individual to kind of like you know, write your own story. You don't, you're not beholden to the, um, you know, to, to other, other people in the boat. And like, they obviously positives and negatives to that, but you know, what are the, how, how does it sort of like when you buy yourself in a single skull, you obviously are in charge of your boat and then you have an idea of what you would like to get out of the boat from a training, from a technical, you know, from a sort of outlook. Um, and then you have your coach, Ellen Randall, who is coming in with, you know, her own sort of idea of what's going to make you fast. And like, how do you, how do you marry those two sort of perspectives? And, you know, you, you're talking to Kim Brennan and Kim Brennan's telling you obviously advice, but that, at the end of the day, you know, Kim Brennan sort of walked her own journey and she sort of achieved success in her own context. And now you have to try and take what she's told you and apply it to your sort of journey. Like, how do you marry those those two perspectives in finding boat speed. Yeah, so I'm I'm really lucky that uh, Ellen's quite um, she has no ego, so she's very happy to uh, sit down and talk about our two perspectives, you know, together and like kind of figure them out. So I think it's very much a team perspective. And I, I said um, said that to Ellen at the start. I was like, oh, whenever I talk about the crew, the crew is us. It's not me. Um, like you're you know on the start line with me which I think is pretty mm. essential to any individual sport um, and, you know, acknowledgement that it isn't just you. Um, and so, like, we honestly, we would just talk about it. Like, I think we'd just go out to coffee and I'd be like, hey, blah, blah, this happened. And, I mean, I think Kim, Kim Brennan's word is Bible. So <laughs> everything she says, I think, you know, <laughs> who knows better than Kim. So um, we, yeah, we, we try to in, we implement, you know, what she says and uh, I think, uh, Ellen and I both are, I think we both love the technical side of stuff and I think sometimes we get into it, we can get into a bit of a rabbit hole. I think, well, I'm like, yeah, if you wrap your pinky around this much more and I'm like, yes, so much more stability. But I think, you know, mm-hmm. um, we do get, we can, we can like get each other into a hole about that. So we have to go, oh, come, come back a bit more. Um, but no, we have an amazing relationship and I'm, I'm very lucky that she's, yeah, pretty pretty open to my suggestions of uh, in the same way. I think she's um, very much steering the ship, and she's uh, so I'll just you know do, do what I'm told um, because at the end of the day, she has you know, 30 years of coaching experience. You know, so, uh, a lot more than I do. Yeah, mm. I think in the single, there's a bit of a difference. Like in a big crew boat, especially like an eight or a four, the coach needs to be like completely in charge and completely in control because there's so many personalities and so many different athletes and everyone has wants to have their say but if you let everyone have their say then you know sessions are going to be twice as long and you're going to achieve half as much whereas in the single i think it's much more of a relationship of like a you know a partnership it's a you know it's a mutual 
kind of relationship between two people uh, trying to make one vote go faster. Yeah, I, I agree a hundred percent. I think there's obviously that still um, like respect in the sense that sometimes Ellen would be like, what do you want to do? And I'm like, I don't know. What, what do you think I should do? Like, you know, you're the boss. Um, um, so I, I like enjoy having that autonomy, but at the same time, like I'm more than happy to kind of be told what to do. I'm, I'm pretty, um, I feel like I'm pretty chilled with that stuff. And then like going back onto, you know, we've spoken about Kim Brennan and sort of the legacy she's left on the event. And, you know, it, it, it must be quite difficult to, you know, separate yourself. You know, you're obviously part of that legacy, but again, again, there's that pressure that sort of gets placed on you irrespective of whether you want it or not. And then I just felt it was, it was really cool to see you racing Emma Twig and you speaking about, um, you know, Kim Brennan and obviously the, the legendary rivalry that Emma had with Kim was it's just really cool to see and i guess the australian women women's single skull has, seems to be have been fairly relatively vacant since kim Roden until you've gotten in and sort of cemented your spot so you know speak to us a little bit about like what that legacy means to you and sort of the prestige of racing in the australian women's single skull and the the history that that butt has yeah i think it's i think it's extremely special um to to be in, in the like in the single skull, I think because there hasn't been it has been Kim um, and she's left an amazing legacy behind. But it's not a boat class that Australia really prioritizes, um, and I don't think I would have ended up in the single if it if it weren't for um, an unfortunate injury that happened in our quad. Uh, so I think it goes to speak of. Uh, sort of where you have to be for to be allowed to even race the single. Um, I think Kim did a lot for women's rowing, uh, not just in the single but just like opening it up and I don't even think I would have uh, dared to dream to even want to do the single scale if it, if it wasn't for Kim and, um, you know, seeing seeing what she's done. I think she just made it all uh, possible for, for like young kids like me who are looking at her growing up. Um, and you know, say Kim Kim Brennan, um, and I think everyone knows, even if you're not a rower, like who that was, and she you know, really special. So I think she just like opened up a whole lot of opportunities for us. Um, you spoke about like how you enjoy having a laugh on the water, and um, so like when you're training, who's who are the like kind of uh, teammates that you you're having a laugh with, and you know, and then obviously there's some teammates that you 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 kind of have to be more serious with usually for us the lightweights don't don't enjoy joking around on the on the water so yeah um i have a really good laugh with the quad i think they're so they were my training partner at the beginning of the year um i also have a really good laugh with the training partner yeah yeah it was it it, um required a bit of planning but um yeah I, i think I had the quad and then I had the lightweights. And our lightweights, are they're good for a laugh as well on the water, um, mostly at me because I'm probably doing something silly or making myself look stupid. But uh, I have, yeah, backwards I, I think. St- backwards feathering starts. Backwards feathering <laughs> starts, yeah. <laughs> um, so I think, it's, I think it's good. I think it's just like, I think it's different for everyone. But uh, me personally, like I, I need that sort of uh, – you know, light hardness to training. I mean, for me, at the end of the day, like it's 
you know, it's serious, but it's also like it's fun. Like I wouldn't be doing this if it wasn't fun. And um, I think I'll get more out of the boat if I'm having fun. And I think the same was for the quad and for the lightweights. Um, I think I the I haven't rowed a lot with the sweet boats, um, but I really admire uh, the discipline that the women's four have. They're an amazing crew, and I think they. Um, show a lot of discipline on the water. Uh, I think they maybe would get a bit frustrated with me if they were wrong with me because I probably should be a lot more like them. Um, obviously, an amazing crew, and you know they've gone so well. So uh, that's what I'd say. I'd say I strive to have their discipline, but also, I'll, you know, I'm, I'm I'm happy. I'm happy to have a have a laugh. It's easier to do, I guess, in the single when it's like you can. It's not like oh you have to drive it all the time because it's a you know, single. You probably get quite tired if you're doing one k's like that. So I think it's easier to be like you know have a laugh and then get back to it compared to you know, a yeah. bigger boat. Hey, I I am all for having a laugh on the water and you know as you said like rowing is really hard already. It's already yeah. tough. It's already requires a huge amount of focus and obviously you know no one's having a joke in the middle of a race piece or something, but you know, to switch off in between pieces or, you know, in the long steadies is, um, I think it's pretty healthy. Yeah. And in saying that, I feel like everyone will have a, have a chat between, um, pieces and stuff. You know, I think like there's pretty yeah. good, there's a good culture. And you have to spend like huge amounts of time with everyone. I think that's yeah. also another thing that other people don't realize is in a team, you are spending an outrageous amount of time with everyone in the team. You know, you're on training camp. It's, you know, you, you're spending huge chunks of time every single day with, you know, your, your teammates. And, you know, if you don't have a bit of fun together or, you know, if you're not able to, to switch off and have a laugh, then, you know, camps are going to be tedious. They're going to be really long and stressful and, and you're already fatigued and tired from training. So that kind of bringing that balance in allows you to, to actually train harder. Mm. Mm. Yeah, I agree. And then, you know, this year, Tara, it's been another fantastic year for you and good run of results and really tough racing and, and tight racing too. What I found find interesting is like you've you've obviously taken a huge step up getting to the single skull. And there's always there's always that like, you know, you've got yourself to sort of like a really high standard and then trying to get yourself from the high standard to the highest is such a small margin. And, you know, when you look at the racing that you've been doing against, you know, Emma, Cara, Caroline this year, it's, it's so close on the margins and, and the differences, they don't need to be big. And you had some big milestones, I think, this season, you know, obviously being able to sort of race against, you know, Cara, a resurgent Cara Cola from the USA and ultimately coming out ahead, you know, you managed to, the third World Cup, you managed to um, finish ahead of Emma in, in two races. And I think that was, that was quite a, a big result. And obviously at the third world cup, you know, reducing that margin to Caroline, obviously at all chance, it was a little bit more challenging, <laughs> but yeah, I mean, it was, it was another good season. And like, I suppose you could be in a way frustrated because like, it's so difficult to, to get faster, but you know, those small margins are, are really tricky. And like, I guess you've got to take the small victories when they come. Yeah, yeah, it it was um it was funny after champs. Like we got off the podium, uh, and yeah, Carolyn, Twiggy, and I were like, "Wow, like, same again!" Like um, so I think it's you know nice that I think everyone's quite um 
Like I feel like we're all good mates. So it's funny to, yeah, it's like the margins, I, yeah, aren't they small? <laughs> um, I think I was, I think I was, you know, I was hoping to be closer to uh, Carolyn um, at the World Champs. But, you know, obviously she is an ama- amazing athlete and she, I feel like, stepped on a bit from World Cup 3. Um, it was, it was, it was cool. It was cool to finish ahead of Twiggy. Um, I think, I think in terms of the small margins, I think it's just about probably looking now into those things that maybe I didn't take too seriously before, but I actually need to improve on. Um, like I think I probably need to improve on my, my weights and my like physical weight, I think is a disadvantage to me as I'll probably be looking to, um, improve on that and maybe improve my erg so that I can, you know, try to get a faster start. So, yeah, just looking for those 1% is really to close those margins. No, that it is very cool. And I think uh, it's been it's been quite special as a spectator to, you know, watch the development of the women's single skull. And you spoke about how fast, you know, the, the field has gotten. And uh, maybe again, to sort of like have a broad look at the women's single at the moment. And I, I've kind of got a feeling that, you know, the – one of the, without a doubt, the one of the toughest world records on the on the circuit is the women's single skull at seven or seven. But I I have been watching this event this season, and it just feels like, you know, if a good if a good day of racing lines up, there's a there's a chance that um that 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 record might go. And uh, you know, I, I'm not saying that lightly because that record is so flipping fast. But again, you know, we've been seeing seven fourteens, we've been seeing sub. 720 times in the single and you know those are those are times that i feel like only the real the real um you know the real top scholars can be able to produce so like you you must feel like you you are racing against the best and i always feel like you you can never achieve your potential unless you have the competition to to get that out of you so on the one side it must be you know, such a challenge racing against such fast competitors. But on the other side, you know that they are going to literally push you to your full potential, which must be quite a special thing. Yeah, I think it's it's awesome to just be um like I wouldn't wanna I wouldn't want to be in the single scale in a in a year where everyone was like, oh that was a relatively easy field. Um I think I think that would take away from I think how hard you know, the boat classes, I think you, you take that commitment to be totally by by yourself and with, you, and with your coach, but on, at the end of the day on the water by yourself. Um, it is, other single women's single scar record is crazy fast. And it's funny because I think like, so Carolyn was, yeah, like four, five, six, seven seconds off the world record. Um, and so the Olympics was six seconds off the world record. And I think if you look at the Olympics, like, a lot of world records were being broken, which I think goes to speak about how difficult that women's world record is. And to be, you know, I, before this season, I hadn't gone sub 20. And then to mm. kind of have gone below sub 20 consistently, um, I was like, oh, wow, like this is, this is fast. So, I mean, that'd be amazing if there were conditions. <laughs> mm. um, or I think even, you know, being being part of a race that's moving that quickly would be awesome. Uh, so I think we'll you know just have to wait to see. And I, I, you know, I actually said after my race, I was like, it's crazy because um, 
I feel like I really improved from last year. Like I, I rated two points higher than I did and I, um, you know, got stronger and fitter and, um, and Emma was saying the same thing and it's like, well, the field just like continues to improve and I'm sure next year it'll be another step up. So I'm really excited, excited to see, you know, what sort of happens and what people bring to the table and, you know, um, even like the whole A final I think was, you know, pretty quick and I think Cara coming back um, really kept everyone on their toes. So uh, I think it'll hopefully only get quicker from here. The circumstances of you qualifying for these Olympics are obviously extremely different to last time around. These world champs, you know, everyone knows that there's the, there's like everyone's racing to get medals and then there's sort of like almost in a, in a way a bigger a bigger thing happening where everyone is racing to go to that, um, that special event that happens once every four years and it's sort of the it's sort of the thing that you know all rowers elite rowers aspire to is going to the olympics and you you managed to place um on the podium again for the second season running but speak to us about the the qualification and how important that is for you especially considering that the first time you went to the Olympics, it was such a, a massive uh, curve and it was post-COVID and there wasn't a lot of experience for you to get sort of used to lead racing. Whereas this time around, you've had two seasons of racing and arguably one of the hottest boat events you can race in and doing really well and qualifying for the Olympics. So, you know, those are mass two polarizing experiences and, uh, you know, qualifying for the Olympics in the single skull, that in itself is obviously must, must mean a lot uh must mean a lot to you I think a hundred percent I think uh it was nice actually to hear I was talking to Spencer Tyron from the men's four and he's an Olympic gold medalist multiple world champion um and even you know he said after the semi like yeah well, we qualified the boat like when they're going to a final and I think Jess Morrison said the same thing and it's amazing to hear you know Olympic gold medalists like world champions just being like I'm just like stoked that we qualified the boat. I think it goes to speak about how relentless the racing is to get that position. Um, and it takes it. And I'm like, well, I mean, if you guys are stoked to qualify the boat, then I'm definitely like, you know, stoked to qualify the boat. So um, it was incredibly nerve wracking. But I think the thing that makes, you know, the qualifying year and even the Olympics so cutthroat is that there are upsets. Like you could be going into you could be going into domestic trials or even the Olympics like a favourite and you can end up in, you know, bottom of the B final. Like it just, it, it it's crazy what sort of comes out of the woodwork. So um, I think I was stoked to be able to qualify the single um, and I'm, I'm really looking forward to getting into a solid training block now because anything can happen really and until you're uh, at the Olympics, yeah. Um, you don't know what's going to happen. So, no. yeah, really stoked to have a good Yeah, exactly. Block. I mean, if you, you said there earlier how, like, from last season to this season, everyone kind of improved. And then going to the games, it's like who can maintain that kind of that curve and, and not everyone can maintain that curve. So, you know, that's where the, the kind of the upsets happen. And, and the qualification is so important because, you know, getting that ticket to the games it's that first step on that like long journey to the the podium at the at the Olympics. And you know, if we think back to our lightweight for 2011, they finished 11th place. They got the last qualification spot and then managed to turn around into a gold. So that you know that qualification is so important to allow you to like build that motive, 
that motivation and that confidence to like step up that last little bit to kind of take the Olympics on. Mm-hmm. Yeah, totally. And well, even the New Zealand men's A in 2020 came through qualification regatta and then one gold, which was like insane. Exactly. Yeah. I mean, it's, it's, there's just, there's such a, like a fine line between over, overdoing it and then, and getting it, getting it spot on. And I think the Olympics just like highlights mm. that because it also is only once every four years. So the chances of kind of getting it right are, are lower. But out of the last season, um, do you have like a favorite race? Uh, what is like the standout race for you out of the last two seasons? Good question. Um, I think I would have to say racing Alex Foster is always so fun because he really leaves you guessing that last 500 meters. So I would actually have to say my favorite race so far has been probably World Cup two of this year. And I think I, I have been quite um, sick before I left. And so I pretty much got back into training for like the week leading into World Cup two. Like I, we'd only been off the plane for eight days. Um, and so I kind of, was really gaining my ability to perform. I think I was kind of going into the A final being like, just give it, just go out hard and see what happens. Um, and so I think, you know, to, to have proven to myself that, okay, even not with the best lead up, I can still perform. But then also being put in a position where, you know, if you don't have clear world on Alex Foster and she goes for <laughs> a crazy wine that like you've got no hope. So I think going to that last 500, I definitely was like, she's coming. Yeah. <laughs> like, um, and I, I, you know, you looked at my race profile, I did a wine too, but it's just, she's so powerful. And so I think it's awesome just to, to be a part of something like that. And I think from a spectator perspective as well, it's also like really, it's also really fun to watch. Um, so I think I, I enjoyed that race because it challenged me a lot, but it also was just, it's also just fun to race someone like that and, you know, try hold on. So, yeah. That's awesome. Yeah. And I think it's actually crazy that we haven't spoken about um, Alex Foster yet. Cause I mean, I just, I just honestly, it's the, the women's single skull. It's like, it's just a whole, it, this whole new class of like young scholars that have just popped out of, the Olympics. It's crazy. I mean, you, one of them, Alex Foster's one of them, Carolyn Florine's one of them. And so I think another one that's sort of making her way up. And I would like to to ask you about it because I think it's it's uh, a lot of people around the world have been chatting about the sort of um, unorthodox rowing style and equipment choice. And that's the Swiss scholar Aurelia Maxima Jensen. And you know, she's r- racing with Mac on Oars, which I think in 2023 is uh, is quite interesting. But, you know, maybe there's something to the Mac on Blades. And, like, you as you yourself are obviously a, an uh, accomplished scholar. When you're looking at her racing along in those um, Mac on Blades, like, what do you make of that? And you tell me, like, what you think a Mac on Blade would perhaps, uh, how would that perhaps make you faster? And or maybe like what sort of dynamic does that bring that the normal cleaver oars don't? Mm. Yeah, um, I love that she rose with them and that she's just doing her own thing. I think it's awesome, and I think it's it's funny because uh, yeah, I guess you wouldn't get that in a lot of other boat classes because I'm sure maybe you'd have some other one be, crew member being like, "I'm not rowing with those." That would be me. Um, I've never actually rowed with them. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Um, 
yeah, I've never rode with them. So I, I, I'd like to try just to, to feel how it is. Um, she, she rates quite low, I noticed. Mm. Uh, so I think she's obviously incredibly strong um, or has uh, a lower um, boat gearing. Um, you know what? Well, I wish I could be a bit of an expert and tell you <laughs> I don't actually know what the oars do. So I don't know. Uh, like how how are they different to like what what's the feeling? Yeah. We've kind of like spoken about it, and the, I don't know. I I must say like I like I'm always skeptical. Like I always try and approach things with a, a skeptical mind, and I just I'm struggling to sort of like when I'm when I'm looking at them, I'm putting down the pros and the cons, and I, I could just tell myself like you know rowing technology you know has been around for a long time and things advance. And like we had, we moved on from Mac on oils a long time ago, and I just can't help think that that's you know perhaps not the best thing. But at the end of the day, you know she's you know she's she's you know performing better than I would do. So like, what do I know about uh, about the Mac on blades? And like the only thing I can think about is like maybe it's got to do with the pickup, the the Mac on. The only thing I think about is making a slightly faster catch, and there must be something to that connection. Um, Jake, I think you don't know what you're talking about. Yeah, <laughs> that's what I'm basically alluding to. Anyone, anyone listening can you're, pretty much. Uh, you, you from the younger generation. You haven't never <laughs> rode. You've never rode with the back. No, we need Martin Cross here to I, knowledge. So when I started rowing under 14, I rode with Mac on blades for the first like half of the season, and then mm. our crew, our quad was like doing okay. So they were like, okay, you or our oct was doing okay. So they were like, cool, you're gonna go into. I think it was like they were busy phasing out Macon blades through the like each season was getting like younger and younger mm. and they were phasing them out. And then they said, cool, okay, we're going to try race this weekend with the cleaver blade. So you're going to train this session in the arc to the cleaver blade. It was so much faster than the Macon blade that we, we ended up breaking <laughs> two of the blades and they were back to Macon blades for the rest of the season. Nice. But it, I don't know, for me, when oh we changed, God. it was so much quicker. So I, when I watch a row, I think that personally, I think she has a very, very big engine. I think she must be so strong. And then that's what's kind of doing it, doing it for her. And she's like, I think she's geared the boat up to row the, the best stroke she, that she can with the Macon blade. But I still think she would be faster if she rode it normal or, mm. but yeah, I yeah. do understand, like, it's, it's quite cool. I think it's a cool talking point, and, you know, it's definitely turned a lot of heads, and she's won a lot of races with it, so you can't deny. Yeah, 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 because well, it's funny as well because um, we obviously the spoons are, I don't know, the composite blades, like, the, I, I call them the spoons, um, where there has, like, yeah. the smaller. Yeah, yeah the, the, the comp blades. blades. You know? The biggest surface um, area kind of thing. Comp blades, yeah. Um, and everyone, we did heaps of tests and they were like, yeah, they're faster and they're a point of rate, but I wouldn't use them in a single skull. So I don't know, maybe, maybe it's just like her style of rowing and it, and it, and it, it's easy. I mean, she's going fast. So I'm like, do, you know, do what you need to do. So it is, it is very interesting. Yeah. I also think rowing has like, there's so many variables. So it's not like, I think in a lot of sports, the variables are much smaller. So like cycling, for instance, or something else is like, small changes make a big difference and like the power trumps everything else. Whereas rowing has like so many kind of nuances and, and unique uh, elements to it that I think if you get it right with one element, you actually can be fast 
even if you're getting even if there's other ways to do it fast in, in different areas. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I agree. Then um if you you I know you, you said you've listened to a few of our episodes. So in our show we always ask um the athletes the same set of questions. Um call them our quick fire questions, although they're usually not that mm-hmm. that quick and sometimes we get completely carried away. But we'll run through them okay. and we'll see how you stack up. Jake, wow. do you want to take it away? Yeah. So the 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 first uh, the first question is: um, if you could race any boat class at the Olympic Games, which one would it be? Well, the single. Easy pick. <laughs> can I not say? No, that? no. Of course you can. Of yeah. course you can. But you would be surprised how often you know people that are uh, wouldn't give us the straightforward answer. Like if they've been training in the single, they would tell us the quad, and you're like, why? <laughs> Why I don't understand. Why aren't you doing yeah. that? <laughs> okay, but if you did have to row a quad and you had to choose three people from anywhere, anywhere in the world, uh, any time, <laughs> uh, which three people are you choosing? And um, and yeah, and it doesn't have to be like for a race. It could be for a row or you know, or for a race. Um, I reckon you know we should get a quad going of. Uh, Twiggy, Carolyn, uh, Alex Foster, and I—that'd be so yeah. fun. <laughs> that would be good, and you could actually—that's probably quite a, yeah. a doable one. You know, yeah. head of the Charles or something. You know, the 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 scholars, I feel like they always, you know, have their little group that, um, and they do a lot of cool things together. Um, so that's a very that's a very, yeah. you know, possible choice. And Kim Brennan, you wouldn't you wouldn't want to get a chance to to row with. Uh, with someone of her caliber. Oh, oh, actually, no, I take it back. <laughs> I reckon I'd get Kim in there, but I don't, I don't want to say what <laughs> I don't want to hurt anyone's feelings. <laughs> okay, well, we, we'll just leave it as she could be the, the super sub in case of an coach. injury. Or, yeah, she could be the coach. There we go. That's a good way to put it in. Um, and then yeah. the next one is, what is your favorite rowing race that you find yourself watching over and over again? Ooh, do you know what I race I really like to watch is the men's pair at the 2000 oh, Olympics. Yes. Um, and they all, <laughs> they all went up to like rate 40 at like the, uh, like 1100 meters. And then they, and then you're like, what are they going to keep doing this? And then, oh, it's just an amazing race and the results completely change. And, um, uh, and I think, you know, I was shown that by Lyle McCarthy and he was like, you need to know that this is what people can do. And it's not about racing your race plan. It's about, all right, they've done that. Am I going to do that as well? Um, cause I think, you know, I used to be pretty linear, like I'll do my 10 strokes, yes. the K and then I'll do another 10. Yeah. And he was like, no, you've got to race the people around you. So I think that, that, that's an awesome race. Yeah. It, is, it is an awesome race. And you like raised a really good point there. It's like, you know, there's there's obviously the plan and you need to be internal and what's happening in your boat, but at the same time you need to be aware of what ha- what is happening around you. And like especially in the single skull where boat speed changes so quickly, like you can't you know, if if you said to yourself you're gonna be settling this second five hundred, gonna make a big move at the third five hundred, but suddenly you're a couple boat lengths down and it's not looking good, you're like, Well, you know, I have to make a move now. Mm, mm, yeah. I always think of Drew, uh, Drew Ginn, when we when people talk about that race because he told us that they the French pair did that every race, so he knew it was coming. And if he was racing in the pair, he oh, would really? have lost to them. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Oh, which yeah. is really funny because he was also really upset that he missed that Olympics. Yeah, so. he was upset. <laughs> yeah, but it would have been interesting. Um, oh. 
uh, that leads us on to yeah. our next question. Oh, but also we saw we met the the guy from the because oh, obviously it's Sean yes. Christophe Roland in the in the boat, which is the head of um, FISA, but then his crewmate, which is um, Jake. You're the guy with the names. <laughs> I think you. I don't know how to pronounce French names, but I think it's you pronounce it like Matteo Andrew or something yeah. like that. But he I probably butchered it bad. He anyway. works for like a, a boat company, <laughs> and he was at um, in South Africa this week for World Masters because we hold we hosted World Masters regatta this last week. So we met him, mm. but his English his English wow. is terrible. Because I I was hoping to get him on the podcast, oh. <laughs> but I I yeah I, I was working behind the bar and I tried to get a bit of uh, dialogue, a bit of banter going on, but I was just boom. Just <laughs> bonjour, messy, yeah, yeah. and that was it. <laughs> Cheers, thanks for coming. <laughs> Yeah, <laughs> but he was a big man, though. Yeah, he's a big guy. Yeah, big guy. Oh, yeah. Really? yeah. yeah. Um, so the next one is: if you were in charge at bull drawing, what would you change? Mm. I reckon I would. Ooh, you know what? I think could be so fun. I reckon. Um, I reckon I'd have like that. You can do different uh, length races, mm. um, and like limit. Uh, like maybe the amount of entrance for each race, and you, you get a get a five hundred meter going, get a get a one k, and then a two k or something. I think that would be really funny. Or actually, I'd love for a relay situation to happen. You two k, two k's, four times two k relays. That'd be mm. fun. I don't know how logistically. I work. think my my cool. younger brother did a relay race in. Uh, he went to like Africa Champs or something when he was still at youth school. Olympics, maybe. Oh my gosh! It was Youth Olympics one of the two? Yeah. I know. I think my brother went to Africa Champs, and then they did a relay, and I think it was like it was alternating directions. So each like team had two lanes, and there was like a two fifty sprint, and then as you cross the line, the other person could start <laughs> going the other way, and then um, that would be so fun. I think it was really fun, but I think it was also um, not fair. So okay. not fair at all because I think it was really all hard right. to like. No get people to start at Please. the right time and you, you know jump you could jump properly. to start and <laughs> and yeah in that so yeah i think it was but i think it was quite fun though i think that would be quite cool to see yeah 100 it's no, a bit like bumps though yeah it is kind of like that and you know there's so much innovation available but like if you could do you think 2000 meters is your is your ideal distance or do you think like physiologically you would be better at something shorter or perhaps longer like if let's say they had to suddenly next year to race one k at the games, would you be like, that sounds better, or be like, oh my god, this is this is bad? Yeah, yeah. Uh, like I definitely I need the two k. Like I don't know why I'd bring it in because the five hundred meters wouldn't really benefit me. But um, uh, it just I think it'd be cool to cool to see. But I'm definitely feel like I'm quite aerobic, so I'll, I'll need that. I'll take the two k, please. Yeah. I think I would have been in my prime at like. 1200 1200 that's such a specific <laughs> distance somewhere between like 1k i think i've started to not produce the the power the power that i need but then i think i wasn't quite aerobic enough for the 2k so yeah. i think like between 1k and 1500 would have been ideal for me because mm. no, a 1500 meter yeah. race i was yeah. pretty good at yeah I'll, I'll, i'm probably on that you'll have to come back for the la Olympics. yeah oh yeah, yeah. 1500 that is true it's definitely a bit more power um but yeah, it's yeah. Uh, it is a really interesting question, and the next question is uh, the one that everyone likes to hear about, and that's what's your 
your personal best on the on the two thousand meter ergo. And what's what's quite cool is we've been putting together the erg ladder of all the the people we've spoken to. Oh, so no. we got to we'll see where you you stack up. Yeah, I wouldn't say I'll, I'd be stacking up very high on that list. Um, my best is a six forty eight. So, well, that yeah. puts you that puts you with Janine Gamelin. So I think you in in pretty good, good yeah. company there. Oh, I'll take yeah. that. And only two seconds, <laughs> only two seconds back on uh, Grace Pentecost. So not too. Not oh too wow! Much. I think I rated like thirty eight the whole time though. So I wouldn't say how much it was based on power more than just. I don't know, doing half slide for, for six yeah. minutes. Yeah, but I think you're still, you know, you're still quite young and I, uh, everyone, I don't know what the, you know, what the real science is, but like the, what I've heard is like the the aerobics, um, you know, rowing your sort of, you start hitting your peak physiologically like around 28 to 32. So, you know, that's uh, that's a pretty good marker yeah. for, you know, for the time being. The, I did a Ugo try like that once where I rowed, I put the drag higher. And I rode at like 39 average at like half slides. And actually I did a personal best as well. My coach was, my coach yeah. was so pissed off with me. Basically pulled me aside and he said, if you row like that again, you're not going to world champs. I'll just send you to crash bees. <laughs> oh my God. Yeah. Like when I took mine off, my coach was like, oh, oh, yep. Okay. Half slide. Cool. That's what we're doing. And I was like, Yeah. I've got these. Yeah. <laughs> well, it's quite a, it's an effective way of doing an oak trial. Yeah, no, it's, it is. It, it, <laughs> I did it after the, the lightweight. There was a, a Danish lightweight. I can't remember what his name was, but he broke the Danish, the, the lightweight ergo record, and he posted the video of him doing it. And it was like, I think he rated like 41 the whole way, quarter slides. Oh, my God. And then broke the record, no, and I was like, that's crazy. Doing that. Is that also the ergo trial? You squat jump into a concrete roof. Oh, well. <laughs> I have some I have some unlucky photos. Oh. <laughs> yeah, shit. Anyway. Um Okay, then the the last of the quick five questions is if you had to choose a different sport to go to the Olympics in, uh which sport would you choose? Oh, great question. Um oh I think do you know what? I think it'd be so fun to be a tennis player. <laughs> like um I think it'd be fun to wear like the outfits and I think, you know, just also I mean, you get paid a good amount of prize money, <laughs> yeah. so I'd take that as well. <laughs> yeah, that's. Uh, I, I'm I'm surprised yeah. you put the word fun, and then you you decided to go with tennis because out of all the sports out there, the pressure and sort of the the focus you need yeah, in tennis true. seems to be unreal. And like one thing gets in your head, and then it just ruins the momentum completely. Do you know what though? Because then I look at Nick Kyrgios, and he seems like he gets worked up about stuff all the time, and he's amazing. No, yeah, so true. I'm like, I'm gonna, I'd be maybe like. Maybe like him. Plus, he's also like so entertaining to watch. So yeah. So would you be on the like smashing your racket, swearing at the the crowd side of things, or like <laughs> the, or the Nadal kind of twitchy, um, repetitive behavior side? Do you know what? I wish I could be on like the <laughs> smashing racket sort of bit more of a larrikin side, but I don't reckon that's me. I definitely probably be like way more stressed and have a little nervous ticks or something <laughs> but it, it does i feel like uh tennis is probably a good like uh sort of uh as a whole sport a case study into how <coughs> your idiosyncrasies can be your strength because you I mean talking about nick curios who seems to sort of divide a lot of people because he's got that sort of um you know rambunctious uh way of <laughs> operating 
but you know there's no denying that's that's it definitely works for him and that's like and you know it's part of it's part of his mm. uh it's part of his identity so yeah it's very interesting and like i guess you know uh again you're speaking about like uh rowing and sometimes you got to sort of feed into your own idiosyncrasies because that perhaps is what is going to make you sort of um uh dif- yeah, that's probably going to make the difference especially when everyone's training so flipping hard is like what else can you do to to get faster mm, mm, yeah 100%. but rowing needs a bit of spice like that as well it could do with a few smash in the rackets at the, <laughs> at the end of the the race yeah like the the british team you know telling the the usa team to be quiet at the end of the race this this year was great and then also like the did that is that what they did oh. yeah. did you see what the the one of the rows from the usa age yeah that was a little bit yeah yeah I and then that. yeah so then they, they, <laughs> they said shush at the end of the at the end of the race but then also like having the post-race oh interview God, so. I, that's my favorite because people have just raced they've like spent themselves and the emotions are running high that's when I want to, that's when I want Martin Cross right in their face. Yeah. Asking, <laughs> asking yeah. questions. Yeah. Cause I think it'll be, it'll add so much value to our sport. Cause I mean, people are exhausted after 2k and that's when they're going to say yeah. what's on their mind. You know, often, you know, people are very guarded in, in a, you know, a normal post, like especially around racing. It's really, really tough to, to chat to anyone around racing. Yeah, yeah. I remember after the World Cup 2 race, um, the World Rowing Media asked me, they were like, we're going to do that thing where you watch, you rewatch the end of that race and we'll get your reaction. And I was sitting next to Alex and I was watching and I'm like, yeah, just uh, got completely rowed through. <laughs> <laughs> and I was like, yeah. So I was like, yep, how good. <laughs> So, you know, they, but then post, obviously, I think they were like, yeah, it's a bit awkward. Yeah, but that's, I guess, that's what the, that's what the people want. But I think, you know, that's, that sort of uh, brings us towards the end of the interview. I mean, is there, is there anything that you feel like we, you would like to chat about or, you know, perhaps we missed, you know? No, I feel like you, you know, did a, did a great job. I feel like we covered a lot of bases. <laughs> yeah, I think we did. And uh, I think from our side, just a huge uh, thanks to you. I know you woke up super early to to chat to us. It must have been really difficult when your alarm was going off. I'm sure you were just swearing at Jake um, for planning the, the time. But um, yeah, thanks so much for coming on the show. Yeah, no worries. Thanks for having me. Yeah, and we're really looking forward to to seeing how your your next season goes. And you know, hopefully we we'll you know we'll see you at uh, at Paris and. See you smash it out. Yeah, fingers crossed. All right, thanks, Tara. Cool. So that is a wrap for our Tara Rigney episode. And what a cool episode it was. And I almost feel like it's such an unfinished episode Mm. because I feel like we just had like the start of kind of her journey. And I think that that we're going to see so many more. And it's definitely someone that – We'll have to have on in the future when she she's racked up the the Olympic medals that we we believe she's gonna get. So I don't know, Jake. What are your big takeaways? Yeah, I mean, like just going off there. I think this is a potential two, three, four episode kind of show. You never know. <laughs> she's still twenty four years old, so you know I'd done so much. I think for an athlete, um, especially in the in the women's single skulls and. You know, I remember when we spoke to Kim Brennan, that was definitely a super memorable episode. And uh, just listening to Tara talk about Kim Brennan and, 
you know, it's, it's difficult not to draw parallels and compare the two rowers. And it was really nice to listen to the insights and the, you know, what she, what she's learned from Kim and just sort of chatting about that sort of legacy. And I think she's, uh, yeah, it's, it's, I think it's good for, it's good for Tara to have that sort of pedigree in, in the skull. Um, also, I think um, just the, like the confidence for, for like a, a young athlete to just have that much like, belief in themselves, but then also like not taking it too seriously as well. Like I think the other kind of, culture or the the mental attitude is like spot on for a professional athlete you know like understanding that you know it's not all done in one day but that you need to put in like some serious work to to get the results that you want mm. so i don't know i really i enjoyed that episode hugely i think that was such a cracker i might have to go back and listen to it again one day but yeah, yeah. just bearing in mind lawrence we we listen to these episodes many times through editing, so that's that says a lot for for Lawrence to say that. Yeah, I know. And then I'll tell the listeners something that happens every single episode. Jake, we start, we introduce us, like we get online with the the guest, and we we have like a little chit chat before we start recording. And then Jake always tells him, like, "Don't worry, you just do whatever you want, like." make as much background noise as you can like uh, go to the bathroom if you need to pause we we eat a packet of chips or whatever yeah, eric murray he's <laughs> not the pits <laughs> no worries the the lawrence will do some editing and it'll it'll be and it's a simple editing process and it, it's, it'll come out so smooth so every time he says this i'm like just sitting inside there like die like shit jay <laughs> shut up dude you don't understand how much the editing how much time and effort it takes but um anyway um i have given it to you for a few episodes so yeah maybe i should start quieting it down there. yeah telling people like hey just quite try to be civil so that it is less editing for us yeah but anyway um i think that that uh wraps up for today and yeah i hope you guys enjoyed otherwise um yeah we won't find you on the next episode for sure guys enjoy ciao